Hey guys, come on up. We're going to have a parent-child dedication. This is an all-church experience, so everybody make sure you have your skates on because we're doing this together. And when uh, we think about this, you know, they come on up here, you might come from a different faith background and which just would be interpreted like some kind of baby dedication. And the reason we call it a parent-child dedication is because uh, it is for the parents as well as the child, and it's really more for the parents. And we want to invite all the family that comes up here. Come on up. It, uh, it takes a, an extended family to raise a child. You guys, anybody wants to come up here that stand by them? Maybe you don't even know them. You want to come stand by them. That's fine, too. But, <laughs> Uh, we want, you know, just for the family to be able to stand up here and support them and to be with them on this, uh, this journey. And um, I was thinking back this week, I was back in the back uh, before the Wednesday supper, I was talking to Jenny and uh, this mom came, came through and she was a little bit frazzled and she, she's not a member here. Uh, I don't even know who the lady was, but she stuck her head in the kitchen because she needed something and she said, I'm just a mom, and then she was making a request about something that needed to be done. And I said to her, no mom is just a mom. And I hope all you guys experience that and know that, and the moms here are saying, that's exactly right, I know. Uh, wow, now, now we're really full. I gotta find the families, the, 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 the kids in, in here. But uh, each name has a, a significant meaning and I want to ask you how you came up with the name and you don't have to have a special story sometimes there is a story sometimes it's just the story as we like the name and uh, I want you to know as well that this is a very spiritual experience we're gonna have fun together but it's a very important experience because you have already signed a covenant in which you agreed to say I'm gonna raise this child in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord and today really a lot like your wedding you are making a public commitment as parents to raise this child. Whatever has happened prior to this day, it's behind you. From this day forward, you are saying, no matter who I've been, no matter what I've done, I have the responsibility of raising my children in a godly way. So they come to know Christ. So let's start off by just asking uh, the, the significance of the names. If there is one, we'll start over here with you. Lane and Heather, Parker Lane. We don't have a Lane up there. Parker Lane. We need a microphone so everybody can hear this. There, someone had a microphone. We want to make sure that we, we get this. Macy and Morgan, are you all excited? I'm glad. You got a little brother. So Lane, Parker Lane. Lane should be fairly obvious. Right? Yes. Um, but Parker is my dad's middle name, and it is your, your grandfather's. Mom's maiden name. So How I cool. family, their last name was Parker. That is neat. So got a little significance going there. Yeah, some family names. Why don't you introduce, I mean it's intimidating when you're standing up in front of everybody. Why don't you just it, introduce us to everybody. So Macy and Morgan, the big sisters, and then this is my grandmother and grandfather, Sandra and Bill, my mom's parents, and then my dad's parents, um, Carol and Mickey, and then Grandpa, Ken, Lane's dad over there. All right. Got a good supportive family. Sure. You didn't get included, I guess. You were Parker after a fight. Oh. <laughs> Mom won. Yeah. So just this week they added to me nothing to the addition. And guess what that puppy's name? What's the puppy's? All right. We got a dog named Baxton. I had a name that I wanted, and her response to me was, when we have a dog, we can name it that. So now... <laughs> 
That is life and marriage, isn't it? Mom gets the veto vote. Oh, well, you always do. Well, thanks. <laughs> Parker's just racked out here. Jessica and Jason, tell us about your name uh, for little Gavin. So this is Gavin Sawyer Curley. Uh, we wanted a more unique name that wasn't in the family because he has four sets of grandparents. Wow. And so when you choose one, you're choosing a favorite. Yeah. We yeah. To go. That's what happened over here. It caused some problems. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. so uh, we have a full list of names. We actually didn't know what he was going to be when he was born. So and nobody knew what he was going to be called until he was born. All right. So uh, we sent a text with a picture as she was about to fly out of Houston to North Carolina saying, Gavin Sawyer Curley is Oh, how fun. So it was a surprise to everybody. Yes, it was. Gavin, we're glad you're here, buddy. Good to see you. I want, Jessica, why don't you introduce everybody to us? So uh, this is my father and stepmother, Kevin and Paula. Yeah. And this is my mom and stepdad, Amy and Pat. Good. Yeah. Well, we're delighted. And thanks for participating in this. We pray it'll be a special time for you and your family. Zach and Whitney, tell us about Sadler. Uh, well... <laughs> We don't, as true styles way, I mean, we have Buffalo here, so. Yeah. Um, we were at a concert in Houston, and um, the lead guitar player's name was Sadler. So we went, hey, that's a great name. Yeah. And now we have Sadler West Styles. Now, West is uh, Whitney's maiden name, so we thought yeah. that went well. Which means mayor, right? Which means mayor. Right? Yeah, yes. that's what I thought, yeah. So, yeah. That's good. So, uh, but yeah, that's how we came up with Sadler. So everybody's got a great story. And, and introduce everybody. Oh, yeah. we got the if we've got right enough there. time, so, introduce everybody. My mom and dad, Jan Veta uh, Styles. We've got Trisha uh, and Everly, obviously, right there. And then uh, Roy West, uh, soon to be mayor. And um, JoJo, uh, Aunt JoJo, which is Trisha's sister. And then Austin, uh, my brother-in-law. Morgan, bonus sisters, Madison, oh, and Ryan showed up, and uh, we got Mare Mare and Kelsey down there, and B Tyler. All right, so the whole crew. You got it, man. Well, yeah, it's just fun to to know that the the background and all that's going on, and and you guys each are, are getting a little um, package there that Jenna has put together for you that. That is, looks very nice, but it's very strategic and very significant. There's a nice little gift in there for you. There's also a Bible in there that, that reminds you, and it's not the Bible that you're probably going to use to raise your child, but it's a reminder that what you are doing right now is built upon God's Word. If you're going to have a godly child who follows the Lord, to love God with all the heart, soul, and mind, you're going to have to found that upon Scripture. So that Bible is a reminder of that. Again, the covenant that you signed earlier to say that you are agreeing to what is written out in uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, listen to what it says. It says, fathers, don't exasperate your children. And we can exasperate our children when we don't direct them in the way of the Lord. Ultimately, it will be the worst outcome of all. But he says, instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. And so you've agreed to that in a covenant. But I'm going to ask you, much like I would at a wedding, to affirm that publicly to the rest. Do each of you agree to raise your child, your children, in the training and the instruction of the Lord? We will. 
And we believe that the church is an integral part of that. And so we as a church family are gonna commit to you to support and encourage you on this journey. So you as a church family, do you agree to encourage and help these families to raise their children in the training and instruction of the Lord? And then there's also a letter in there. If you've been through a parent-child dedication before, you're aware of that, but maybe if you haven't, you have a letter from me. And it's not to be opened until your child receives Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And on that day, it will open up the letter, and they'll be reminded that it was this day that we as a church family got on our knees and prayed for them to become a Christian very early in life. So when that day comes, we're excited to know your child will open it up to be reminded that people have been praying for them a long time. So I would love for us now as a church family to kneel. You guys just stand where you are. And uh, we're going to kneel as a church, and we're going to pray for y'all. Lord, thank you for the privilege that we have to see new life, to come together on a Mother's Day and to be reminded of this just beautiful creation that is manifest through these three children, little Sadler, Gavin, and Parker. God, how we pray that your favor and blessing would be upon them. Pray for their parents. We know parenting is, is challenging. The greatest challenge of all is to, to direct our kids toward you. We can get so distracted with so many things that that becomes kind of a secondary thought. But I pray, Lord, that for each of these parents, the primary concern of their life would not be how smart their kid is or how well they do on the ball field or in the recital hall, but their greatest concern would be how well they do with you that each one of these children, Gavin, Parker, and Sandler, would come to know you as Lord and Savior very early in life. And Father, that they would follow hard after you every day after. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We are so proud of you guys. Thanks for sharing this day with us. And we will continue to covenant to pray for you all. Jesus is coming. 
tell the world the treasure that you have found in me. How you changed us into something new. A broken sinner. That because of what you have done, we have life eternal. Thank you for that sacrifice. May we willingly come to the altar each and every day laying down ourselves and allow you to use us as you see fit. Bless this time now that we're going to spend together as we continue to worship through your preached word. Speak to us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. throw my hat in there and say happy Mother's Day to everybody again. Uh, to moms, I say to everybody because guys remember it's Mother's Day, so you'll take good care of your mom. It's a delight for me to have my mom uh, with us today. She is visiting from Dallas as well as my oldest sister who takes great care of making sure she gets around. They are traveling all the time, it seems like. They're leaving for Connecticut tomorrow, so they're world-class travelers and it is an honor to have my mom with us uh, today. You know, Sharon Cronus may have summed up what it's like to be a mom when she was writing about her three-year-old daughter who came in so proudly announcing that she had not only brushed her own teeth, but she had brushed the teeth of the dog as well. <laughs> Sharon explained to her that she shouldn't do that. You don't use your toothbrush to brush the teeth of the dog, and so she replaced it. And the next morning, a little daughter got up and wanted to know why she had a new toothbrush. And Sharon explained to her what had happened yesterday. And said, remember, we can't brush our dog's teeth with our toothbrush. And she said, but mommy, I didn't use my toothbrush to wash Spot's teeth. I used yours. <laughs> so as a mom, you have probably been through that drill many times. And my mom could tell you many things that I did just like that growing up. Uh, they have to leave quickly after the service. So we're going to go for a lunch engagement, so you can't ask them about any of those things. <laughs> it is. We plan things out around here. John chapter 9, we continue our series about the great interruption, and today we come with a Mother's Day interruption. Even though this event occurred 19 centuries before Mother's Day ever came into being, make no mistake about it, this is truly a Mother's Day. What we will see in John chapter 9 is the healing of a blind man who had been blind from birth. And after Jesus had healed him, it says that he went back to his home. We don't know how many years he had been born blind, but he is a man of adulthood. We can assume decades. And he went back, and for the very first time, he saw his mom. She had seen him so many different times growing up. But this Mother's Day, it was a Mother's Day because he saw her for the very first time. This morning, we're going to talk about this event from history, this healing of a man who was born blind. 
how Jesus did that. We're going to look at what happened. And then we're going to talk for a couple of minutes about why it happened, and then we're going to see how things like this can happen to each of us. So let's look at what happened in John chapter 9, beginning in verse 1 through verse 34. It says, as Jesus went along, he saw a man blind from birth. Now, we know that this is sometime after the Feast of Tabernacles. We don't know how soon afterward, but Jesus is walking, and he's in the temple area, and he comes across a man who was born blind. Make no mistake about it. This is not an accident. It is a divine appointment. As I come to this man who was, born, was, was, was blind from birth, it says in verse 2 that his disciples then asked, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Again, get the context. Jesus and his disciples are making their way toward the temple area. This man is positioned along a very well-traveled road, strategically located, as worshipers would be coming to the temple, appealing to their generosity, these beggars would be along the road. And how many times they had heard this same discussion. They become an object lesson for a theological debate. Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? That was a common thought in their day. It was a consensus thought that if you had something wrong with you, it was because of sin. There's no question that sin is the ultimate reason to illness and things going wrong and brokenness in the world. But just because you're sick or have a medical condition doesn't mean that someone has sinned to cause it. And that's why Jesus would respond in verse 3. Neither this man nor his parents. Can you imagine how that man felt? How many times this same discussion had taken place? Just stop and talk. How weird disability sometimes. Someone that is blind and we talk in front of them as if they can't hear. And they sit there and they're just talking about, you know, let's figure this out. Let's figure out what the cause of this man's blindness is. And Jesus said, I didn't come to debate. I came to redeem. This happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. And Jesus goes on and he says, as long as it's day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. And he's talking about his crucifixion. It's like the enterprise of the kingdom of God shut down after the crucifixion with the disciples. They went into hiding. Nothing was happening. Jesus was in, it was in the tomb. And he says, the time is coming when everything will shut down. But while I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Going back to the Feast of the Tabernacles, if you weren't here, just reminded that they just finished the Feast of the Tabernacles either within the last couple of days or the last few weeks. We're at the very end of Jesus' life. We're in the last six months of Jesus' life when this is occurring. And Jesus has said repeatedly, I am the light of the world. And he's speaking that to a man who has known nothing but darkness his entire life. After he said this, relating back to the Feast of the Tabernacles, that he is the light, he is God himself, says that he spit on the ground, he made some mud with saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Now, we would look at something like that, and we say, now, I'm glad my ophthalmologist doesn't do that to me. But you think about it, we do think that there is some medicinal, medicinal value to saliva, don't we? Have you ever burned your finger or cut your hand? 
You stick it in your mouth or you lick it. You've ever seen a dog just keep on licking a sore? We think there's some kind of medicinal value there, and that, that was the consensus then. But, but notice what else is happening. He spit on the ground. There's so much imagery in this passage of Scripture. John probably gives us far more than we will ever even comprehend. But we think back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, in which God reached down on the dust that he had created, and from the dust, he created man. It says, Jesus is saying, I am the creator. And that which was made broken, I am now correcting. And he puts the mud on his eyes, and then he says, go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. John translates that for us, but that was the, the translation from the Hebrew. This is a very old pool. It was designed and built by Hezekiah back in the Old Testament. It was mentioned in Isaiah as a place in which God wanted to provide for his people, but they rejected that. It's very symbolic here. It means sent, and Jesus is sending him. How far? It's about a third of a mile. They're not a long walk for someone that is sighted, but someone that is blind, it's, it's a pretty good journey. You imagine what he thought about at that particular moment when Jesus put this mud on his eyes. He's like, didn't see that coming, pun intended. And then it's like, and then what am I going to do? And maybe it could be, I've, I've heard of this man that maybe this could be a miracle. Maybe I could see. I don't know if I was blind. I probably would try anything. And could be he just says nothing better to do today. So he goes. He is sent by Jesus to the pool that means sent. And then it says, he went for us to ever know God's activity in our lives. When we are sent, we must went. We must obey what he is calling us to do. This is almost like a test of his faith. Will he go? What was he thinking as he was walking down? Could it be he was thinking how silly? Thinking everybody looks down on me anyway. Doesn't matter. Sent. That's who Jesus is. He was sent by God. And here's John just throwing out these little clues. He wants us to get that he's talking about Jesus being the sent one. The man went and he washed. Then it says he came home seeing. His life has changed. It doesn't say that he went back to begging. It doesn't say that he went back to where he was. He went back home because this is the very first time that he would be able to see his parents. The first time he would see his home. The first time that he would literally see his neighborhood. He, he goes back. And his neighbors are completely baffled. Those who had formerly seen him begging asked. They, they, there's a lot of confusion going on here. Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claim, yeah, that's the guy that used to beg. They're all excited. And then it says others, no, he only looks like him. Have you ever seen somebody caught out of context? I see people all the time. And don't ever ask me this. This is the meanest question of all. Remember me? <laughs> if you ask me that and I don't remember you, we both can conclude you didn't make that much of an impact. But you see people out of context, and the idea is, you know, remember me, and they're looking and saying, wait a second, it looks like him, but it can't be because that guy's down by the temple begging, and his eyes were now 
open. We know that uh, blind people, maybe sometimes their eyes are closed or maybe they're open and they're, they're kind of staring off in the distance, but there's something uniquely different about him. His whole countenance has changed. And, and he seems to have this boldness that we're going to see. And as they walk in there, they say, well, if this, and then he says, listen, I'm the guy. This is exciting. And then they say, well, how? How were your eyes opened? I mean, how did this take place? He replied, the man they called Jesus. He made some mud, he put it on my eyes, and he told me to go to, the, to Shalom and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. Then they say, well, where is this guy? Kind of like, we need to confirm the story. Maybe, maybe you were just blowing smoke all these years. You were just pretending. We need to confirm this story. And he says, I don't know. And the mystery continues. A blind man is now seeing. He's talking to his neighbors, seeing them for the very first time. Doesn't know where Jesus is. So they say, well, we need to get some better intel. So they brought him to the Pharisees, it says in verse 13, the man who had been blind. Now, this day on which Jesus had made the, made the mud, and by the way, it was illegal according to rabbinic law to make mud or clay on the Sabbath, and it was illegal to heal someone unless they were in imminent danger of dying. Couldn't do that on the Sabbath according to the rabbinic law. So they discover it's on the Sabbath, but they're bringing this guy who's been supernaturally healed, and they're thinking, okay, well, we need to talk to the guys that traffic in supernatural stuff, the religious leaders. And so they go. Therefore, the Pharisees asked, how? Boy, you're going to see this word over and over and over through this chapter. How? Why do they ask that? Because people that are born blind don't just start seeing. So they're trying to figure out what's the explanation for this. He explains to them. He put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and now I see. It says, some of the Pharisees then said, this man can't be from God because he did this on the Sabbath. Now understand, we're not on the same day because the Pharisees wouldn't be meeting together on the Sabbath. So we're a day or two removed from this. And it says that some of them are saying he can't be from God because he did this on the Sabbath. And then it says that others said, wait a second. How can a sinner perform a miracle like this? And so they were divided. So they had this conflict going. Isn't it interesting? Something great has happened, and it fosters a conflict among the religious leaders. So they turn to the blind man again. What, have you, what do you have to say about this guy? I mean, just talk trash, and we'll be okay. Their problem was they were trying to reconcile a miracle, it seems, with Jesus, and those two didn't fit into their box of theology. And he replied, he's a prophet. Again, there's that word sent. Prophets were sent by God. And so he's not yet to the point of understanding who Jesus is, but he's saying, I don't know who he is, but he's obviously sent by God. Well, they still didn't believe that he had been born blind, that he received his gift. So they sent for the parents. So, so what they're saying is, okay, maybe he wasn't really born blind. Maybe Maybe he's just been having some trouble for a while. So they send for the parents, and they ask the parents, you follow the story? They're all in front of the Pharisees. The man didn't give them what they needed. See, the real deal here is the blind man that's been healed, he's not the threat. The real threat is the truth. They're not trying to find the truth. 
They're trying to figure out how they can get past this miracle. So they ask the parents, is this your son? Is this the one you say was born blind? And they ask them again, same question. How can he now see? And then they say, we know he's our son. We know he was born blind. But how he can see, we don't have a clue. But they said, he's old enough. You ask him, let him speak for himself. And he goes on to say why they said that. Here's this mom who's had this amazing Mother's Day when her son saw her for the very first time. But it says in verse 22, they were terrified. Why were they terrified? Because the Jewish leaders had already decided that anybody saying Jesus was the Messiah would be thrown out of the synagogue. They couldn't worship at the temple. They couldn't go to their synagogue. It could be temporary for as few as 30 days, or it could be for an extended period of time, or it could be permanently. And then they would be ostracized from society. It would impact them financially. People wouldn't do business with them. They wouldn't be able to worship. So in fear, they're saying, I don't know what to say here. He's old enough. Let him talk for himself. He's of age. So here we go again. So a second time, which is really the third time, they're asking these guys, this guy a question, and this time they say, give glory to God by telling the truth. Here they are, trying to reconcile this problem. They're saying, okay, I think we figured it out. You're lying, so tell the truth and give glory to God. We know this man is a sinner. They had already categorized Jesus as a sinner of no value whatsoever. And the man replies, don't know if he's a sinner or not, but I, I do tell you this. I was blind, and now I see. Proof in the pudding right there. So they ask him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? You, you see how this works? We've been there before when we're in a discussion that's not really going the way that we want. We ask again. And why are they asking again? They're hoping that maybe he will contradict his story or he'll incriminate Jesus somewhere along the retelling of the story or as we have done, it could be they're buying time. You ever done that and something that's not going well for you? And say, well, tell me that again while you start thinking about how you're going to respond. And that's the way it is. And he says, and again, notice the transformation of this man. He was born blind. He was relegated as an outcast from the very beginning. Talk about self-esteem. He had none. But he is emboldened by what Jesus Christ has done for him in his encounter with Christ. And he comes back in verse 27. He says, listen, I told you already, and you didn't listen. And for us to get a sense of how significant this is, this is like speaking to the Supreme Court. These are the rulers of the land underneath Rome. And he says, why do you want to hear it again? Why do you want me to retell the story again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Oh, my goodness. That so agitated them. The response is obvious. They begin to hurl insults at him. When you can't get what you want, you just go to insults. So you're this fellow's disciple. They won't even call him Jesus or this man. This, this fellow, this renegade, this itinerant preacher. We're disciples of Moses. Now we know that God spoke to Moses. But this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. 
But this guy's not done yet. Listen to what the blind guy says. Again, just a couple of days earlier, he is alongside of the road. Nobody even knows his name. And now he's standing before the religious leaders in this inquisition. And notice what he replies. Wow, that's remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes, i.e., this guy is something and you've never heard of him? Verse 31, we know that God doesn't listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. The blind guy is now seeing and he's lecturing the Pharisees. So they replied, you were steeped in sin. They go back to the original argument. You were blind because you're a sinner. You're steeped in sin from birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Threw him out of the synagogue. Threw him out of the temple. Threw him out of society. Go back to where you came from. So here's this guy with this remarkable miracle. And we see the blindness of the Pharisees simply because they're so twisted by their sin that they can't even celebrate this man's new joy in life. We go on in verse 35. Why did all this happen? That's the question you're asking. So that we can see Jesus and what he came to do. This is not just a story to say this is a Bible story that we can tell people about. This is, a, this is a piece of history that God gave us through the writing of John so that we could see Jesus and that we could understand what he came to do. So he's thrown out. Not sure where he's going to go. And it says in verse 35 that Jesus heard that they'd thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Again, John is very meticulous in the words that he's using. Son of man was a term that was used in the Old Testament, the book of Daniel, to talk about the Messiah. So Jesus approaches this guy and says, do you believe in the Son of Man? And you see how changed this guy has been by verse 36. He says, who is he, sir? Tell me so that I may believe in him. If you're telling me to believe, I'm in. It doesn't have to be anything I understand. You tell me, I'm in. And then Jesus said to him, and how remarkable is this? I see was never in this guy's vocabulary until just a few days ago. And Jesus said to him, you have now seen him. He didn't even see Jesus after he had been healed. This is his first experience to see Jesus after the healing. And Jesus says, you have now seen him. I opened your eyes physically so that you could see spiritually. He is the one speaking with you. And it says in verse 32, at that point, he said, Lord, I believe. And he bowed down and worshiped him. Interesting enough, there are other people that are listening to this dialogue. The religious leaders. And we pick that up in verse 39. Jesus is having this conversation, but there's other people that are eavesdropping, and Jesus continues on. For judgment, I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who 
will see, those who see will become blind. Now, when you hear that, and if you're paying attention closely to what's been going on in the book of John, we go back to John chapter 3, verse 17, and, and we say, well, Jesus said he didn't come to judge, but what is so interesting about this particular, this, this word in verse 39, it's a very similar word, but they're two different words in the original language, in the Greek. What Jesus was talking about in John chapter 3, verse 17, is that Jesus didn't come to actively say, you are condemned to actively judge, to stand as our judge. That will come later in history. Later in the future, I should say. But this word means the result of judgment, meaning that you basically judge yourself by the decisions you make. And so Jesus is saying, I have come that so people are forced to make a decision about me, and whatever your decision you make about me has consequences. The Pharisees then say, so... Are we blind too? And the original language is said in such a way that it expects a positive, like, no, you're not blind. You're the religious leaders. But Jesus flips it over and says, you bet you're blind. You're so spiritually blind, you can't see God standing in front of you. He says, if you were blind... You wouldn't be guilty, meaning, going back to the, to the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, those who are spiritually destitute, they will be the ones who experience the kingdom of heaven. But because you think you can see, because you think you see everything, because you think you understand everything and you're missing me, your guilt is going to remain on you. So we come to the question of, we know why it happened. This story was given to you and me today in the year 2021 so that we could see Jesus and that we could know why he came, what he came to do is to give us spiritual sight. How do you receive spiritual sight? It reminds me, 39 years ago, almost, uh, it's 39 years ago this semester, almost to the day, I was in my first semester of seminary. And I was having trouble uh, picking up the notes on the board. And I kept on thinking, if there was just some more light. I even went to the seminary professor that I was having the most difficult time with, and I said, is there any way that I can get the notes from you? Because I, I just, I'm not seeing. I had had 2010 vision all of my life, incredible vision. So I, I couldn't imagine that my vision was changing. And then I was over at church one day, and we we're talking about somebody down at the front of the church with some of my friends, and he says, you know, the guy with the Band-Aid on his head? I said, Band-Aid? I, I, so dark up there. And the guy said, here, try my glasses. And he, I thought, why? And I put his glasses on. I was like, whoa, that's a Band-Aid Band-Aid. I could see it. And then I had to do something. I couldn't take his glasses. I had to decide, would I deny that I couldn't see? Or would I go to TSO in Fort Worth and be fitted for glasses so I could see? That's where all of us sit here today. Not all of us, but some of us. Have you decided to acknowledge that your spiritual sight needs to be corrected so that you can see Jesus? I pray that for, for all of us, we've already done that. We've received Christ as our Lord and Savior because that's exactly what this man did. He said, Lord, I believe and then it says that he bowed down and he worshiped him. That is the only time in John's gospel that someone bows down to worship Jesus. 
you find that, that Thomas says, my Lord and my God, which could be construed as worship at the very end, but this is the only time someone physically bows down and worships Jesus. That's how you and I can have what this man had. Don't forget again, he would eventually lose his physical sight because he would die, but he would forever have spiritual sight to see his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Watch this video of one of our newest members, D. Harmon, and watch how one man came to experience what this man had, how he got spiritual sight. The summer of 88, my life was in total chaos. The fine line I'd been walking since my return home from my tour of duty with the United States Marine Corps in 1983 was getting harder for me to balance. As the sergeant at arms for a West Texas wannabe motorcycle club, I had a reputation to uphold with my leather-clad rabble-rousing brothers. But all the anarchy, lawlessness, alcohol, drugs, loose women were becoming millstones around my neck and I was drowning in despair. In the midst of all this turmoil, I met a beautiful young Christian woman whom I fell head over heels for the night we first met. We became close friends, but I locked away my true feelings for her deep inside. And I did my best to distance her from the rebellious life that I'd been living. One night, I watched her on a date with another man from across a dimly lit bar. The more I watched her, the angrier I got. One of my MC brothers walked over to me and asked what was wrong. So I told him just how angry I was that she was on a date with another man whom I knew was unworthy of her every attention and that he would eventually do her wrong. He said, then get up and go do something about it. Tell the girl just how you feel about her. I said, I can't. I'm just as unworthy as he and she surely doesn't deserve to live the life that we're living. With that, his words of wisdom to me. Then change it, my brother. The only one that's holding you back is yourself. His words resonated deep in my soul. I'd been struggling with it for way too long. I knew exactly what had to be done that night. I walked out and left behind my motorcycle club, and my brothers whom I'd rode with for years. I rode too and woke up a Christian couple whom I'd known since I was a teenager and knew that they had been praying for me ever since we first met. I asked Jim, show me just how you and Dean have lived the life that you're living. With that, they obediently led me to my Lord Savior and my salvation. When I picked up my shield of faith, I was barraged by fiery darts. And it took me a while to get my life centered again. But what a journey it has been. Good morning, Westgate Memorial Baptist Church. And thank you, Pastor McHenry, for allowing me 
to share one of the many great interruptions in my life. This was the kickstart to my Christian walk and my return home like the prodigal son. As a side note, I have been blessfully married to my beautiful bride Joan for 30 years this May. How can you have what Dee has, what the blind man received after he got his sight, spiritual sight? It's recognizing that God loves you and he's created you to have a relationship with him. But like the blind man, blind man our sin has blinded us from seeing who God is and having a relationship with him. But thankfully, Jesus Christ can open our eyes and allow us to see God in all his glory. We can be changed for eternity by humbly repenting of our sins and receiving Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. If you've never done that, I pray that in the next couple of moments you will join me in a simple prayer of inviting Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior. If you're already Christian, would you pray for someone else that their eyes would be opened spiritually so that they can see who Jesus Christ really is and what he came to do. And if you find that you're somewhat backpedaling from where you've been spiritually, make this a time in which you say, Lord, would you restore and open up my eyes to see what you see? So let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your word that teaches us of who you are and why you've come to open our eyes to be able to see all that you've created us to experience, relationship with you. And if anyone in this room or listening online has never received you as Lord and Savior, I pray that they would invite you into their life with a simple prayer like this, Lord Jesus, I recognize that I am a sinner in desperate need of your forgiveness. Please forgive me of all my sins and become the Lord and Savior of my life. I surrender to you all that I am and all that I have, and I will follow hard after you the remaining days of my one and only life. God, would you restore our sight so that we might see you more clearly? We think of a man who was living a life that simply had no meaning whatsoever, and he was changed for all of eternity. We see people that were immersed and religiosity, but they were so spiritually minded, they couldn't see what was spiritually blinded. They could not see what was right in front of them. Open our eyes to see what you want us to see. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Love you all. Thanks for listening. And I'll be standing over by the crosses if anybody wants to pray. If you pray to receive Christ and you want some encouragement, also we'll be out in the atrium after the service. But as we stand to worship, let's worship and celebrate and invite God to open our eyes.